Chapter 2. There is a blessedness in reversion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3. Having finished with the occasion of the sermon, I come now to the sermon itself. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Christ does not begin His Sermon on the Mount in the same way that the law was delivered on the Mount, with commands and threatenings, the trumpet sounding, the fire flaming, the earth shaking, and the hearts of the Israelites quaking for fear. But our Saviour, whose lips dropped as the honeycomb, Song of Solomon 4.11, begins with promises and blessings. So sweet and lovely was the doctrine of this heavenly Orpheus, that, like music, it was able to charm the most savage natures, and even to draw hearts of stone to him. I begin then with this first word, blessed. If there is any blessedness in knowledge, it must necessarily be in the knowledge of blessedness. To illustrate this, I will give two aphorisms or conclusions. One, there is a blessedness in reversion. Two, the godly are in some sense already blessed. 1. There is a blessedness in reversion. The people of God meet with many troublesome difficulties and sinking discouragements in the way of religion. Their march is not only tedious, but it is also dangerous, and their hearts are ready to despond. It will not be improper, therefore, to set the crown of blessedness before them to enliven their courage and inflame their zeal. How many Bible verses bring this olive branch in their mouth, the tidings of blessedness to believers? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Matthew 24, 46. Come, ye blessed of my Father. Matthew 25, 34. Blessedness is the perfection of a rational creature. It is the sharpening stone of a Christian's labor, the height of his ambition and the flower of his joy. Blessedness is the desire of all people. Aquinas calls it the ultimate end. This is the target every person aims to hit. All the lines are drawn to this center. In what does blessedness consist? Millions of people mistake both the nature of blessedness and the way there. Some scholarly people have written down 288 different opinions about blessedness, and all have missed the mark. I will show in what it does not consist, and then in what it does consist. In what blessedness does not consist? It does not lie in the acquisition of worldly things. Happiness cannot be extracted here by any art of chemistry. Christ does not say, Blessed are the rich, or Blessed are the noble. Yet too many people idolize these things. Man, by the fall, has lost not only his crown, but also his headpiece. How ready he is to terminate his happiness in facades! This makes me call to mind the definition that some of the heathen philosophers give of blessedness that it was to have a sufficiency of resources and to thrive well in the world. Are there not many who pass for Christians who seem to be of this philosophical opinion? If they only have worldly conveniences and comforts, they are ready to sing a hymn to their souls and say with that senseless fool in the gospel, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, 
take thine ease. Luke 12:19. What is more shameful, asks Seneca, than to equate the rational soul's good with that which is irrational? The tree of blessedness does not grow in an earthly paradise. Has not God cursed the ground because of sin? Genesis 3:17. However, many are digging for happiness here as if they would bring a blessing out of a curse. A person may just as well think to extract oil out of a flint, or fire out of water, as blessedness out of these earthly things. King Solomon thrived more than any man. He was the most magnificent prince who ever held the scepter. For his parentage, he sprang from the royal line, not only that line from which many kings came, but also that from which Christ himself came. Jesus Christ was of Solomon's line and race, so that for heraldry and nobility no one could show a more honorable coat of arms. For the situation of his palace, it was in Jerusalem, the princess and model of the earth. Jerusalem, for its renown, was called the city of God. Psalm 46, 4, 48, 1. It was the most famous metropolis in the world. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Psalm 122, 4. For wealth, his crown was hung full of jewels. He had treasures of gold and of pearl, and made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. 1 Kings 10, 27. For worldly joy, he had the best and ideal of all delights. Sumptuous food, stately buildings, vineyards, fish ponds, and all sorts of music to enchant and delight the senses with joy. If there were any rare object, it was a present for King Solomon's court. He bathed himself in the perfumed waters of pleasure. For wisdom, he was the oracle of his time. When the Queen of Sheba came to present him with difficult questions, he gave a solution to all her doubts. 1 Kings 10.3. He had a key of knowledge to unlock nature's dark cabinet, so that if wisdom had been lost, it could have been found here, and the whole world could have lit their understanding at Solomon's lamp. He was an earthly angel, so that a carnal eye surveying his glory would have been ready to think that Solomon had entered into that paradise out of which Adam was once driven, or that he had found another just as good. Never did the world cast a more smiling aspect upon any man, yet when he gave his impartial verdict, he told us that the world has vanity written upon its face, and that all those golden delights he enjoyed were merely a painted paradise, a glorious misery. And behold, all was vanity. Ecclesiastes 2.11. Blessedness is too noble and delicate a plant to dwell in nature's soil. Blessedness does not lie in externals. I will prove this by the following five points. a. Those things that are not commensurate to the desires of the soul can never make a person happy, but temporary things are not commensurate to the desires of the soul. Therefore, they cannot make him happy. Nothing on earth can satisfy. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Riches are unsatisfying. Because they are not real, the world is called a fashion 
1 Corinthians 7.31. The word in Greek signifies a mathematical figure, sometimes a show or apparition. Riches are only covered over. They are like glitter, which glistens a little in our eyes, but at death all this glitter will be worn off. Riches are only sugar-coated lies and pleasant deceptions, like a gilded cover that does not have one leaf of true comfort bound up in it. Riches are unsatisfying because they are not suitable. The soul is a spiritual thing. Riches are of an earthly extract, so how can these fill a spiritual substance? A man may as well fill his treasure chest with grace as fill his heart with gold. If a man were crowned with all the delights of the world, even if God would build him a house among the stars, yet the restless eye of his unsatisfied mind would be looking still higher. He would be prying beyond the heavens for some hidden curiosities that he thinks he has not yet acquired. That's how unquenchable the thirst of the soul is until it comes to bathe in the river of life and to center upon true blessedness. B. That which cannot quiet the heart in a storm cannot entitle a man to happiness, but earthly things accumulated cannot rock the troubled heart quiet. Therefore, they cannot make one happy. If the spirit is wounded, can the creature pour wine and oil into these wounds? If God sets conscience to work and it flies in a man's face, can worldly comforts remove this angry fury? Is there any harp to drive away the evil spirit? 1 Samuel 16:23. Outward things can no more cure the agony of conscience than a silk stocking can cure a diseased leg. When Saul was sore distressed, 1 Samuel 28.15, could all the jewels of his crown comfort him? If God is angry, whose fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him, Nahum 1.6, can a wedge of gold be a screen to keep off this fire? They shall cast their silver in the streets, and their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. Ezekiel 7.19. King Belshazzar was drinking and ranting. He drank wine in the golden vessels from the temple. Daniel 5.2-3. But when the fingers of a man's hand appeared, his countenance was changed. Daniel 5.6. His wine grew sour and his feast was spoiled with that writing that was written upon the wall. The things of the world will no more keep out trouble of spirit than a paper window will keep out a bullet. C. That which is only for a season cannot make one happy, but all things under the sun are only for a season. Therefore they cannot enrich with happiness. Earthly delights are like those foods that we say are in season for only a while and then soon grow stale and are no good. The world passeth away. 1 John 2.17 Worldly delights quickly fly away. They may be compared to a flock of birds in the garden that stay a little while, but when you get near to them they take their flight and are gone. Riches certainly make themselves wings they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Proverbs 23, 5. They are like a meteor that blazes but burns itself out and is gone. They are like a castle made of snow that is lying under the torrid beams of the sun. 
Augustine says of himself that when any advancement smiled upon him, he was afraid to accept it lest it would suddenly slip away. As Plato said, outward comforts are like tennis balls that are hit up and down from one person to another. Even if we had the longest lease of worldly comforts, it would soon run out. Riches and honor are constantly in flight. They pass away like a swift stream or like a ship that is going full sail. While they are with us, they are going away from us. They are like a bouquet of flowers that withers while you are smelling it. They are like ice that melts away while it is in your hand. Bernard said that the world cries out, I will leave you, and is gone. It gives its greeting and farewell together. D. Those things that bring more trouble than comfort cannot make a person happy, but such are all things under the sun. Therefore, they cannot have happiness attached to them. As riches are compared to wind to show their vanity, Hosea 12, 1, so they are compared to thorns, Matthew 13, 22, to show the troubles they cause. Thorns are not more apt to tear our garments than riches are to tear our hearts. They are thorns being gathered. They pierce with care. As they pierce the head with care of gaining, so they wound the heart with fear of losing. God will have our sweetest wine run down to sediment and have the taste of a musty cask, too, so that we may not think this is the wine of paradise. And E. Those things that if we have nothing else, will make us cursed, cannot make us blessed. But the sole enjoyment of worldly things will make us cursed. Therefore, it is far from making us blessed. Riches are kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Ecclesiastes 5.13 Riches to the wicked are fuel for pride. Thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Ezekiel 28.5 Riches are also fuel for lust. When I had fed them to the full, they then committed adultery. Jeremiah 5, 7. Riches are a snare, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. 1 Timothy 6, 9. How many have pulled down their souls to build up an estate? A ship may be so laden with gold that it sinks, and many people's gold has sunk them to hell. The rich sinner seals up money in his bag, and God seals up a curse with it. Woe to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. Habakkuk 2 6. Augustine says that Judas sold his salvation for money, and the Pharisees bought their damnation. Happiness is not to be obtained out of the earth. Those who go to the creature for happiness go to the wrong place. If happiness does not consist in externals, then let us not place our happiness here. This is to seek the living among the dead. Luke 24, 5. As the angel told Mary concerning Christ, He is not here, for He is risen. Matthew 28, 6. So I may say of happiness, it is not here, for it is risen. It is in a higher region. How people thirst after the world as if the pearl of joy hung upon an earthly crown. Oh, 
someone says. If I only had such an estate, then I'd be happy. If I had such a comfort, then I would sit down satisfied. Well, God gives him that comfort and lets him suck out the very juice and spirits of it, but it falls short of his expectation. It cannot fill the hole and longing of his soul, which still cries, Give, give, Proverbs 30, 15. It is just like a sick man who says that if he only had a certain food, he could eat it, but when he has it, his stomach is bad and he can hardly endure to taste it. God has put not only an emptiness, but a bitterness into the creature. And it is good for us that there is no perfection here, so that we may raise our thoughts higher to more noble and generous delights. If we could refine and extract the best of the creature, we would say at once, as the Emperor Severus said, who grew from a low estate to be head of the greatest empire in the world, that he had been through all circumstances, yet could never find full contentment. To those who are cut short in their portion, whose cup does not overflow, but their tears are not too much troubled, remember that these outward comforts cannot make you happy. You might live rich and die cursed. You might treasure up an estate, and God might treasure up wrath. Do not be dismayed about those things that the lack of which cannot make you miserable, nor the enjoyment of which cannot make you happy. Having shown what blessedness does not consist in, I will next show in what it does consist. Blessedness stands in the fulfillment of the main good. It consists in fulfillment. There must not only be possession, but there must also be fulfillment. A person may possess an estate, yet not enjoy it. He may have the dominion of it, but not the comfort, as when he is in a coma or under the predominance of depression. But in true happiness, there must be a sensible enjoyment of that which the soul possesses. Blessedness lies in the fulfillment, or fruition, of the main good. It is not every good that makes a person happy, but it must be the supreme good, and that is God. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Psalm 144.15 God is the soul's rest. Psalm 116.7 Only that in which the soul accepts and rests can make it happy. The globe, or circle, as is observed in mathematics, is of all others the most perfect figure because the last point of the figure ends in that first point where it began. In the same way, when the soul meets in God from where it sprang as its first original, then it is completely blessed. That which makes a person blessed must have certain qualifications or ingredients in it, and these are found nowhere except in God, the primary good. In true happiness, there must be the quality of being better. That which fills with happiness must be such a good thing that it is better than a person's self. If you want to elevate a piece of silver, it must be by putting something to it that is better than silver, such as gold or pearl. So that which elevates the soul and enriches it with joy must be by adding something to it that is more excellent than the soul, and that is God. The world is below the soul. It is only the soul's footstool, and therefore it cannot crown it with happiness. Another ingredient is savour. That which brings happiness must have a delicious taste in it, 
that the soul is instantly ravished with. There must be in it spirits of delight and essence of joy, and where can the soul soak up those pure comforts that amaze it with wonder and crown it with delight except in God? Augustine said, In God the soul is delighted with such sweetness as even transports it. The love of God is a honeycomb that drops such infinite sweetness and satisfaction into the soul that it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter 1.8 A kiss from God's mouth puts the soul into a divine ecstasy so that now it cries out, It is good to be here. The third ingredient in blessedness is abundance. That which makes a person happy must not be too meager. It is a full drink that quenches the soul's thirst. And where will we find plenty except in deity? Thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. Psalm 36, 8. Not drops, but rivers. The soul bathes itself and is laid, as it were, immersed in the water of life. The river of paradise overflows and empties its silver streams into the souls of the blessed. In true joy there must be variety. Abundance without variety is apt to nauseate. In God there is all fullness. Colossians 1.19 What can the soul want that cannot be had in the chief good? God is the good in all good things. He is a sun, a shield, a portion, a fountain, a rock of strength, and a horn of salvation. In God there is a combination of all excellencies. There are fresh treasures and delights springing from God every moment. To make up blessedness there must be perfection. The joy must be perfect. The glory must be perfect. Spirits of just men made perfect. Hebrews 12.23 Blessedness must run through the whole. If there is the slightest defect, it destroys the nature of blessedness, just as the slightest symptom of a disease takes away the well-being and right temperature of the body. True blessedness must have eternity stamped on it. Blessedness is a fixed thing. It allows no change or alteration. God says of every child of His, I have blessed him, and he will be blessed. Just as the sunshine of blessedness is without clouds, so it never sets. I give unto them eternal life. John 10.28 And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Eternity is the highest bond of blessedness. We have seen that this diamond of blessedness is only to be found in the rock of ages. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Psalm 33.12.144.15 If there is such a blessedness in reversion, be convinced of the truth of this. Set it down as an article of your faith. We live in a time in which many people have become atheists. They have gone through all opinions, and now they profess to have no concern for God. They have drunk in so much of the poison of error that they are quite intoxicated and fallen asleep, and they begin to dream that there is no such state of blessedness after this life. To them, this opinion is above the Bible. When people have the spiritual disease of staggering around in blindness, it is a sad foreshadowing that they will die. 
It is a dangerous thing to hesitate and waver about fundamentals like Pythagoras, who doubted whether there was a God or not. It is dangerous as well to doubt whether there is a true blessedness or not. Doubting principles leads to denying principles. Let it be a proverb with every good Christian that there is a blessedness in reversion. Don't doubt that what God has said lies ahead. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. Hebrews 4 9. Revolve this truth often in your mind. There are many truths that swim in the brain that do not sink into the heart, and those do us no good. Chew the cud. Let a Christian seriously consider that there is a realizable blessedness and that we are capable of enjoying it if we do not lay obstacles in the way and prevent our own. Happiness. Although within I see nothing but sin, and without I see nothing but curses, there is still a blessedness to be obtained, and it is also to be obtained for me in the use of means. Seriously meditating upon this will be a powerful argument to make the sinner leave his sins by repentance and hard work until he finds the golden mine of blessedness. It would bring death to sin in our lives. Would we not fiercely resist and oppose sin as well as mortify the deeds of the body, Romans 8.13, and earnestly cry out to heaven so that at last we may arrive at a state of blessedness? Is there a crown of blessedness to be set upon my head? Is there a crown hung with the jewels of honor, delight, and magnificence? Is there a crown to be given to us by God Himself, and will I risk this by sinning? Can the pleasure of sin make up for the loss of blessedness? What more powerful motive to repentance is there than this? Sin will deceive me of the blessing. If a person knew certainly that a king would give him all his wealth and property after a certain number of years, would he offend that king and cause him to reverse or change his will? There is a blessedness promised to all who live godly. This is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. 1 John 2.25 We are not excluded, but may come in for a child's portion. Will we then, by living in sin, provoke God and forfeit this blessedness? Oh, what foolishness this is! Well may the Apostle call them foolish and hurtful lusts, 1 Timothy 6.9 because every lust does what is in its nature to do to cut off the gift of mercy and obstruct the way to happiness. Every sin may be compared to the flaming sword that guards the heavenly paradise so that the sinner cannot enter. Genesis 3.24 Let us so conduct ourselves in a way that we may express to others that we do indeed believe in a blessedness to come, and that is by seeking a part in God for the beams of blessedness shine only from His face. It is our union with God, the primary good, that makes us blessed. Oh, let us never rest until we can say, This God is our God forever and ever. Psalm 48, 14 Most people think that because God has blessed them with an estate, therefore they are blessed. Alas, God often gives these things in anger. God may grant a thing when he is angry that he does not will to give when he is calm. He loads his enemies with gold and silver, 
as Plutarch reports of Tarpeia, a Vestal nun, who bargained with the enemy to betray the capital of Rome to them if she could have the golden bracelets on their left hands, which they promised. Having entered into the capital, they threw not only their golden bracelets upon her, but also their shields, and through the weight of these she was crushed to death. God often lets people have the golden bracelets, the weight of which plunges them into hell. Oh, let us long after heavenly things. Let us get our eyes focused and our hearts united to God, the supreme good. This is to pursue blessedness as in the hunt. Let us proclaim to the world that we do believe that a blessedness will come by living blessed lives. Walk in a way that is appropriate for the heirs of blessedness. A blessed crown and a cursed life will never agree. Many people tell us they are bound for heaven, but they live their lives in quite a contrary way. The devil is their pilot, and they sail toward hell, as if a man would say he were going on a voyage to the east, but then sail toward the west. The drunkard will tell you that he hopes for blessedness, but he sails another way. You must go weeping to heaven, not staggering. The unclean person talks of blessedness, but he has fallen into that deep ditch, Proverbs 23:27, where he is more likely to find hell than heaven. A beast may just as well be made an angel as an unclean person in his sin can enter into the paradise of God. The covetous person, of whom it may be said he is a worm and no man, Psalm 22, 6, for he is always crawling in the earth, would still lay a claim to blessedness, but can earth ascend? Will a lump of clay be made a bright star in the firmament of glory? Be assured that they will never be blessed who bless themselves in their sins. If it come to pass, when he heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart, to add drunkenness to thirst, the Lord will not spare him. But then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. Deuteronomy 29, 19-20 a person can no more extract blessedness out of sin than he can suck health out of poison. Let us lead blessed lives, and so declare plainly that we seek a country. Hebrews eleven fourteen. To you who have any good hope through grace that you have a claim to blessedness, let me say, as the Levites said to the people, Stand up and bless the Lord your God for ever and ever. Nehemiah nine. 5. What infinite reason you have to be thankful that the lot of free grace has fallen upon you! Although you had forfeited everything, yet God has provided a haven of happiness, and He is carrying you there upon the sea of Christ's blood with the wind of His Spirit blowing your sails. You are in a better condition through Christ than when you had the robes of innocence upon you. God has raised you a step higher by your fall. God has passed by many people and looked upon you. There are millions of people who will lie under the bitter vials of God's curses, whereas He will bring you into His banqueting house, and He will pour out the pitchers of wine and feast you eternally with the delicacies of heaven. Song of Solomon 2, 4-5 
O adore free grace! Triumph in this love of God! Spend and be spent for the Lord! 2 Corinthians 12.15 Dedicate yourselves to Him in a way of submission, and live for Him in a way of gratitude. Never think that you can do enough for that God who will soon set you ashore in the land of promise.